Welcome to You Need a Coach, Bitch. I'm your host, Chris Hale. I'm a certified life coach and coach instructor. I'm also a master dance educator and self-proclaimed Zenial Pop Diva. Every week, I bring you a conversation to help you harness your inner authority by popping the patriarchy and crafting the life of your dreams. Are you ready to unleash your inner creator? Let's go. Hey, bitches, what's up? How are you? I'm doing great. I had an awesome workout this morning. I decided to ride my bike, which I haven't done in a while. Um, I think I've mentioned before that I used to be an instructor at SoulCycle in New York City for about a year and a half, and I still love to ride at home. And so I was I was like rocking out to Brittany. I was born to make you happy. And as so often happens when um, I... I was singing along and I just had this like click in my brain that like as I was singing the the lyrics, like I was born to make you happy, like it occurred to me that the person that I needed to be singing that song to was myself, right? I was born to make me happy. And um, I think it's like, you know, these things come up in the perfect moment as offerings from our brain, which is amazing. But I've really been struggling with my mood lately. Um, And, you know, being off antidepressants has been a bit of a journey. And I'm happy with it. Like, I'm happy that I made that choice. But, you know, sometimes it takes extra effort on my part when the low vibes start to take over. Um, And today, writing, I really tapped into something that I know to be true, but sometimes I forget. Like, even though I'm constantly talking to y'all about this. And that really is that, like, the only person that we need to concern ourselves with in terms of our feelings is us, right? I'm only responsible for my feelings. And there's just something so like powerful, right? About like claiming that thought, right? That like while I'm singing at the top of my lungs and riding my bike, that like it's for me, that I'm doing this for me to make myself happy. Um, And I do believe that, like, in part, right, we have this belief that we should be making other people happy or that, like, we should be focusing on others because of songs like this. Like, because we grew up listening to Britney saying, like, you know, I don't know how to live without your love. I was born to make you happy. And it's all outward focused on a significant other, right? And we've all been, like, sort of conditioned to believe that someone else completes us and, like... We should only ever be thinking about the needs of someone else. And that, and that, like, that's what relationships are supposed to look like. And for me, like, already being like codependent and a people pleaser, I was like, yes, confirmed, right? I cannot live without someone else's love, (laughs) right? I do need to ensure that, like, I'm constantly trying to, like, make them happy so that they love me. And, I don't, like, there's nothing wrong, right, with thinking about other people and being responsible for how we show up and being nice and kind people, right? Like, I'm not saying any of that, but it's just that, like, it's not my responsibility to make anyone else happy. And so those lyrics are most powerful when we flip them and we use them on ourselves and we think about the fact that like we can't really live without love for ourselves we need to be putting that first and we are here to make ourselves happy so you were born to make you happy 
And, you know, I've I've definitely had similar thoughts about other songs where I've sort of flipped the meaning onto me when it's supposed to be like to someone external. But I didn't have a podcast when that happened. And I do now. So I'm sharing it with you all. The other thing I want to share before we get into today's topic, I just want to share all the things with you today. Like, it's like just we're like sitting down having a coffee. I'm actually drinking coffee. So um, I was listening to Getting Curious with JVN. And their guest was Professor Sammy Schalk. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. Um, sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. But the topic was, what is at the heart of Black disability politics? And it focused on the connection between the civil rights movement um, and racial injustice and how like disability politics, like how it's all like intimately intertwined. And... One of the things that this highlighted for me is like the degree to which we still see disability as looking one way. um, And that aside from stigma around disability, because we only see it one way, and that's usually around physical disability, a lot of people that could actually benefit from services and accommodations don't ever receive them because they don't see themselves as disabled. Um, So I learned a lot from this episode. And another thing I I learned about that was really interesting was like the Black Panthers and how they sort of took this on as a part of their work, right? Around liberation, they included disabled people um, as like they also needed to be liberated and needed to be thought about. and, And the quality of their life needed to be included in the message that the Black Panthers were kind of out there spreading. And I thought that that was really interesting. And what that highlighted for me was something that Brene Brown talks about, which is that, you know, you already have to know a little bit about something to be interested in it. And I didn't, I mean, I like know about the Black Panthers and I've like read things about the Black Panthers and like studied them in school. But, you know, this topic really sort of brought it closer to home and made me interested in learning more about them. So I might do a whole episode on just this idea of like how we create interest in something, but I'm just going to leave you that right now to ponder of just like, you know, if there's something that you're not quite, that's like in your periphery that you haven't quite done a deep dive into, or you haven't learned as much as you want, like find a source that kind of piques your interest around a topic, right? So like this whole idea of disability politics and racial justice, um, those things like are important to me and they're interesting to me. And then like finding out like more about the Black Panthers in relation to that made me more interested in the Black Panthers. There you go. Anyway, now that I've just like talked your ear off about all those things, let's get on to today's actual topic. So today we're talking about questions and questions are really the most powerful tool that I use as a coach. And I've already talked, um, to you a lot about how to use questions to sort of destabilize some of your long-held beliefs. But today we're going to sort of talk about how to really ask useful, powerful questions that move you forward instead of getting yourself stuck down a, a dead end, right? Like with dead end questions, like questions that don't really lead you anywhere. This tool is going to impact so many different areas of your life. Um, Not only will it improve your relationship with yourself, but it's also going to make communication better with other people in your life and therefore improve the quality of those relationships. And it has implications for your work as a creative. So one of the things I often say is ask a better question and you get a better answer. But what does that really mean? Well, most of us are asking questions that don't really take us anywhere, But it's not necessarily because the question is a bad question. A lot of times it's because 
of the assumptions that we're making or the things we think we are observing and believing are facts. So the question has a false premise baked into it. So an example of that would be like asking myself, like if I don't want, if I don't feel like working out, right? Asking myself the question, like, why am I being so lazy right now? So the false premise there is that I'm being, that I'm lazy, right? <laughs> right. If, if you ask yourself the question, like, if you ask the question, why am I being lazy? I'm going to get a lot of answers to that question. And they're all going to be in support of proving the premise true that I am in fact lazy. And this literally happened to me. I was thinking about um, the quality of my thoughts and I was examining the places where I might be being too hard on myself, right? Because that's definitely a thing if you're a perfectionist like I am. Like sometimes we're super hard on ourselves. And I'd identified that in my work. I'm super compassionate. I honor my energy cycles and I support myself as best I can. But with exercise, I have a tendency to force myself to do things that don't feel good or to push myself unnecessarily when I don't have the energy. But when, when that comes up, um, I tell myself that I'm being lazy instead of inquiring as to like why I maybe don't want to ride my bike that day, for instance. Um, because like it might be because I'm exhausted and like the day before I had a massage and my body really wants to sort of absorb that work and learn how to integrate it in a gentler way. But I never get to that if I'm believing that it's just a fact that I'm lazy and unmotivated. There are also some other assumptions in there that could be questioned, like, um, why is riding my bike what I think I should be doing right now? Right? When did I make the decision that that's what I was going to do? Is it because I believe I have to do cardio? Is that the only way that I think I can get my cardio? So there might be layers of unconscious rules um, that you're living by that could stand to be questioned in that moment. In this case... A better question would be, why don't I want to work out? See how that's already more curious than assuming that the reason is that I'm just lazy? Another one is, what would feel good on my body? And that actually happened to me today. I did actually want to ride my bike, but I had some resistance, which was kind of weird for something that I I wanted to do. So I got curious and I asked myself, what would feel good? And the answer that came back was to do some strength training first, to get my body warmed up gently, right? To put some stress on it in a controlled way and get connected through my core. Then I got on my bike and I felt super supported. So not lazy at all, right? I just, I had a desire to move differently than I'd planned. So resistance to something is just a clue for us to get curious It's not an invitation to beat yourself into submitting to your own bullshit rigid rules. And this works too, even if you are trying to follow a routine, like to get a particular result, um, you might actually find out that like if you start questioning, right, yourself, like when you have the thought come up like, oh, I really don't want to do this today, right? You might actually find out that you're tired, but still choose to do the workout, but make some adjustments Um, to take into account your decreased energy level, right? So that's going to help keep you safer. Because remember, like if you only have 60% to give that day and you give 60%, you gave 100% of what you had. And tapping in to understanding maybe what's behind the resistance 
or you might not see it as resistance in the moment, right? It's just kind of like, oh, I don't want to, right? But that's resistance. And so if you get curious about it, you might find that you're able to like still do the thing that you want to do, but with some like simple modifications. So that is one way to start asking yourself better questions and honoring what you need in any given moment. Now we're going to talk about how you can use it in conversation and to improve your relationship. So so for me, I've used this to help me ease my social anxiety. This skill of dropping into pure curiosity when I'm out in the world, um, I would say like most of us, right, we're doing one of two things when we start a conversation, whether it's with someone we know or it's with a person we're just meeting, right? We're either, we either think we know what the other person is going to say, so that's definitely not curious, or we're listening to respond, but we're not listening for comprehension. So we're more concerned with like what we're going to say back than we are in actually like understanding the other person. So learning this tool as a coach, when someone's in front of me, like I go completely blank and forget I know anything about anything. So even if someone tries to like throw me like a, you know what I mean? I'm like, no, I don't. Tell me more. What do you mean? Um, or I know what that might mean for me. But I want to know what it means for for you, right? So it's like I get really curious about like maybe my interpretation of what they're going through or what they're thinking is not the same as what my interpretation of it would be. Um, and then we can get to like understanding that. And then also, why is that important to them? And I think that this can go a long way when we're looking at disputes and arguments because right, instead of you thinking you know where the other person is coming from, you can get curious. You might still disagree, but at least you'll understand each other better or you'll understand them better because maybe they haven't listened to this episode. <laughs> but um, <laughs> right. One of the things you can ask yourself there is like, what do you want your relationship to be like with someone you disagree with? That's going to yield a much better answer than asking why they have to be so difficult to get along with. Like that makes the assumption that the other person is that is that fault somehow like they're difficult to get along with and there could be some truth to that but right in any conversation in any interaction there's two sides to it so like you're also probably contributing to like the not getting along with them <laughs> like there's something going on on your end that you could take responsibility for and another way it helps when we think about relationships with others is like the way we relate to others when we're thinking about how they view us so there could be situations, right, where like a terrible question would be like asking, why does everyone hate me? Or why do all my coworkers have it out for me, right? Questions like that are only going to have your brain doing like a scavenger hunt for all the ways in which it's absolutely true that your coworkers are out to get you. And then you're going to focus on that instead of why you're believing that they're out to get you in the first place, right? A question like that is completely unanswerable, but your brain hates that confusion, and it loves certainty. So it's much easier to spin in all the yuck feelings that come up when you're thinking that like you're the enemy of everyone and doubling down on the stories that you tell yourself, which really isn't moving you forward in your relationships with them. This is also really not the most generous assumption that you can make. And if we're going to insist on making assumptions, and again, that's what our brain likes to do, we can also try to like make the most generous assumption we can. Next step would just be to like make no assumption at all and just not assume anything and see where it goes. 
So like, what might you be curious about if you aren't believing that everyone has it in for you? This is going to improve the chances that you can have a decent, if not maybe a flourishing relationship with the people you spend a lot of your daily hours with. The last place I want to shed some light on is in in our work, in our own work. So some common like unuseful questions that don't get us anywhere in regard to work um, could be, why isn't this working? Um, Why can't I ever get ahead? What if no one buys what I'm selling, right? If you're working on a launch, um, something like, why is my work so mediocre? Or why was, why is my work so bad? <laughs> um, so I'm wondering if you can spot the false premises in any of these questions. For the first one, it's that things aren't working. What does that mean? Why are you telling yourself they aren't working? What are the facts here? I've had people say this to me about so many things, and it's rarely ever true, or it's really just not the whole story. Like, we're missing facts, right? This is just their perception of what's happening. So, like, a client will say that their marketing isn't working, for example, and I'll ask them how long they've been marketing and how much they're marketing. And the answer is usually something like, well, three months, right? They've been marketing for three months, or they've been really focused on their business for three months, or they've been following whatever routine or protocol or whatever for like three months, right? It's usually like a relatively short amount of time that doesn't give us much information to go on based on like what's actually successful and what's not. Or the volume will be really low, right? They'll be like, I've been doing this, you know, I did two Instagram posts and one Instagram story, right? And it's just not working. So like, what is it? what does it mean for it to work? What were they expecting the result would be from two Instagram posts and one story. What do they believe their results should be right now? I guarantee that their expectations are whacked, right? Like they've completely underestimated how much they need to be getting out there and for how long before they get the result they want. This is the outcome entitlement we talked about in a previous episode, right? Like they have this entitlement to getting some kind of like interaction from two posts or a certain level of interaction. And that's just not always what's going to happen. Same thing kind of goes for like, why can't I get ahead? False premise is you're behind, right? Like we can hear that false premise. There might be another one, but that's the most obvious one is if you're asking why I can't get ahead, then you're believing you're somehow behind. But behind what or who? Like what what's the what is the the measurement here? Maybe it's like meeting deadlines. So how true is it that you're behind on your deadlines? I actually did ask this of a client once. Um and the, they had there was no formal deadline, right? It was something that they were they were doing for work, but it literally had no due date. None. So behind was just a self-imposed idea that was causing all this pressure. And that pressure did not motivate them to get the work completed, which only fueled the belief that they were behind and kept them from getting the work done. So that's just a whole loop there. So what we need to do in the situation like that is just like be honest about the fact that like there's no way to be behind and then decide, okay, how long do you want it to take for you to complete this task and then create a plan to do it and then see what kind of thought errors and mind drama gets in the way of you completing it. Then we have the, like, what if questions, right? So, like, what if no one buys? Um, 
So say like you're doing a launch and no one buys anything. Well, answer it. We're going to answer that question. What happens? What happens if no one buys? Super simple, right? And then just keep asking and answering the similar questions, right? So what if no one buys? Well, then I'm going to have to launch again, or I'm going to have to get another job, or right? And it's like, okay, so then what? What happens if you have to get another job, right? And we just keep following that until we sort of have talked the whole thing out. What your brain's going to want to do is say like, well, if no one buys, then I'm a failure. Well, it's like, no, maybe that launch failed, but that doesn't mean you are a failure. And I think that sometimes by like exploring the worst case scenario, it it like, deset- not desensitizes, but it like, it, it like deescalates the emotion, right? The emotion's not in- as intense because we've taken it all the way to the end And we've realized that, okay, I know what I'm going to do in all of these scenarios. And at the end of it, yeah, I'm going to, I'll be super bummed, but I can handle being bummed. And I have an action plan for how I want to move forward. And as for like critiques of your work, right, that are like disparaging, these are really not going to get you anywhere. It's a total dead end. Instead, you can assess it more precisely by maybe first asking what you like about it or what is working for you. Then you can ask what it is you don't like as much and why. I do this sometimes with choreography. If there's something I don't like, I'll always start out with me. Like, like, do I just not like the movement? Is it the dynamics or the texture? Does it need to be slower? Does it need to be faster? Does it need to be more stationary? Does it need to take up more space? Right? Like, I'm I'm kind of like, what is it? Right? It, it's not just bad. It's not just no good. There's something that I don't like about it. And once I've gone through that, right, then I might go to the dancers, right? And I, like, ask, ask like, if they're executing it how I want them to. And if not, why? Right? Maybe I didn't convey what I want. And so then I just have to, like, try conveying it better. Or maybe they're actually like not fully giving it their all. And that's okay, right? But then I can like get curious with them, right? Like, what's going on with you, right? Do you need a break? Are you overwhelmed? Do you not understand, right? Like I can like not do it in a defensive way, but just like this really open exploration of what it is that's not exactly what I want, once I start down the path of negative criticism, like I, I can't really leave it, right? So I want to be careful not to go there and just like throw the baby out with the bathwater and decide that it's just no good because all that's going to result in is me wanting to give up. And then lastly, I want to like circle back to something I mentioned in a previous episode and that's sending your brain to find the answer you want, right? So um Kind of like if you want to create more positive, more useful thoughts for yourself, asking questions like, I think the question I gave the example of is like, how am I already the person that can achieve my goal? But like you can do this anytime that you're trying to unlock positive thoughts that you already have about yourself, right? It's so much easier to lean into thoughts that are already patterns for us that maybe we just don't have access to in this moment, but there's there's something that like is more easily um, 
able for us to recall, right? So um, when we're looking at kind of results we've created in our life, like how did I get myself where I am? Or why am I so successful? When things are maybe not going the way we want them to, right? Like instead of going to like, why is this happening to me? You're never going to get an answer for that, right? (laughs) Because your brain is going to give you some kind of like moral bullshit that like you're a bad person or like you deserve bad things to happen to you, which is like completely not true. But (laughs) you can ask like, how is what is happening right now the perfect thing for me? Or what's the lesson here? Or what do I need to lean into? When it comes to other people, we can ask questions like, why do my colleagues like me? What is it like? What are the reasons why they might like me instead of thinking that they hate you? This is sort of starting with a positive premise um, and looking for evidence. But right, sometimes I think it's much nicer to start with a positive premise than it is to start with a negative premise and then ask our brain to go seek evidence to prove that positive premise true. This can be super helpful when you're feeling like you just can't make the shift that you're trying to make. Right? I do this with my clients all the time because we often focus more on the negative voice in our head. And doing this practice is just sort of, is going to sort of jumpstart that part of you that like already knows what a powerful fucking rock star you are, right? That part of you is in there and we just want to remind it, right? That there are amazing things about you that you already love. So this is how we can think about asking more useful and more powerful questions. And I would love for you to kind of go out in your life this week and notice when you might be asking yourself some of these questions that lead you nowhere and how you might be able to either shift them into a more useful question or challenge the premise that the question is based on in the first place. All right, loves, have a great week. If you are loving the podcast, it's time to put a ring on it. It would mean the world to me if you would do one or all of these things. First off, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or all the places podcasts are available if you want to be extra. While you're there, giving a five-star rating and leaving a review would be epic. And lastly, Spreading the love by sharing your favorite episode would be beyond. Thanks, love. We'll talk soon.